All right, all right, all right, Deer Gear Podcast listeners, welcome back. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Today's an episode that Dorge and I recorded in the fall, because like I said last week, things got pretty busy. Never had time to get around to uh, sorting through the episode and getting it uploaded, but here we are. It is December now. I can't believe it. The year is almost over. Uh, This last week here at Exodus has been all about planning for the future. I'll just say this, guys. 2024 is going to be the biggest year you've ever seen from us. So hope you guys are excited. Hope you guys had the best season of your lives last year. If you're looking for some last-minute Christmas gifts, we do have rivals in stock. Arrows are in stock. Head over to the website and uh, get yourself fixed up. Hope you guys have a great holiday season. And I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Let's get into this episode with George and I talking about building arrows and the do's and don'ts and a little bit about consumer behavior. Let's go. All right, everyone. Wow. 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 It feels good to be back, George. Um, Yes, it sure did. It's been a long, um, a long awaited hiatus, but we had some. We just got really busy, and unfortunately, the the content of the Deer Gear podcast got put lower on the priority list. But we're back. Yes, we sure did. So I I, I saw. Remember, we talk when I talk about all the do, don't, and hate stuff. <laughs> You're building your arrows, isn't it? <laughs> oh man, yeah. We uh, well, first of all, let me just say this: everyone listening, uh, customers, thank you because September, August, and September were overwhelming with um, the amount of arrow orders that we received and that I built. So thank you. But man, why are you guys waiting until September to order your arrows? There's still orders. Today is October 10th. We're recording this. There are still people ordering arrows today. And I'm sure you go through that all the time because you've been doing this a lot longer. Yep. Let's see what happens is that you got customer who like to order the arrow three days before they go hunting. (laughs) Yeah, that seems to be a uh, seems to be a recurring thing. But I just, I mean, I can't, I just can't understand it personally. I just don't. Uh... Well, but you figure that some people just the, the especially your the, the average twenty five to fifty guys, they are the one who usually do that the most. Yeah, you know yeah, why? and I see um, some people that are like, well, I want to go get arrows from my pro shop. They said I can't. It'll be two or three weeks before I can get them. Can you guys build them faster? And we. Uh, we try to stay to a five-day build time at the most, so uh, we are cranking them out a, a lot quicker than a lot of pro shops are. So maybe that has something to do with it. Yes, and on top of that, you're doing it a lot better now. Well, yeah. I mean, you know what to look for. People don't understand the the skill of building an arrow is one of the most important thing when you shoot over two hundred and forty feet per second. Anything over that, the the build of the arrow is actually more critical than most people recognize. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that has been pretty evident in all of our testing and everything that you have taught us as of now. But um, today's going to be a little bit shorter. But what I want to do is just talk about uh, what I've learned, um, how I, how far I have come in the process of building arrows. And then I kind of have some questions for you on um, just a couple different things that maybe you do differently that could save me mm-hmm. some time or help me do a little bit better. So um, mm-hmm. actually let's start with that. Let's, uh, let's just go through, let's say that I just ordered arrows from you. Um, uh, mm-hmm. walk me through the process that you would go through to build that, to build that dozen of arrows. Okay. First of all, I asked what arrow that is and based on, because I got more tools than you do. 
So I can pretty much build any any inner tube size I feel like. And I, because I do have a diaphragm uh, vacuum cleaner, uh, vacuum sucker, and also have a, a very good, uh, uh, what do you call it, ultrasound system. It's a 15, it's a 14 transducer system. So the cleaning of the shaft is one of the most critical. And stocking them in acetone and so on, it's good, but stocking it with acetone with ultrasound is fabulous. Yeah. But you need to be careful because acetone in uh, in vapor stage explosive. Ooh. So now you know why I have all these uh, ventilation system everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and not to mention soaking up too much acetone will give you a headache that you don't believe. Yeah. Then uh, after I got the shaft, I'll cut the shaft first. I usually cut the shaft. I'll put the shaft onto uh, onto a spinner to make sure the shaft front and back. And then I will cut whatever the side that is bad. The more I cut, the better off I am. Because it's no point to just cut all the way in the back. Some people do. I don't. So I get the best part of the shaft. So Once, looking at it. I want to stop you real quick. I'm going to intervene for a second. And um, I think there's a little bit of a misconception in, um, well, straightness. We already know that. But, okay, mm -hmm. so for a bow hunter's perspective, people think that the front of their shaft needs to be tight spin, right? Because that's where Not the true. broadhead's going to be. But I think that is a misconception. Speak on that real quick on why it may be more important to have the back straight. Well, the back straightness of the shaft because it's your veinous. The front straightness of your shaft because of your broadhead is. Your broadhead is going to base on mass and weight, based on speed, because no, none of you guys are doing crossbow. When you go to a crossbow, the story changed oh, because yeah. the speed. I mean, you see how many 10.505 and Raven 500 arrow I sell. You're talking 500 feet per second. That's over 300 miles per hour. Now think about what would happen if you have a screw off the top of the vein that is doing, a wing of a plane is not doing well. The aerodynamics is already sort of like screwed. So the, the, when you go that speed, the front and back need to, it need to spin out as soon as possible to get it as strict as possible. That means you want you have your harmonic, your uh, your elliptical tight spin as fast as possible. See, in the traditional uh, bow world, your vein can be a little bit more in the front; it will stabilize better. But in a crossbow, the vein has to be as uh, as far back as the trigger box allowed. Okay, those are very very different approaches because, first of all, the spine of a, a crossbow is significantly heavier because the power stroke, although shorter. Is ridiculously high. I mean, some of the crossbows are already close to 300 pounds on a, on a 10 and a half inch power stroke. I mean, should I say Raven 500? Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you need to think about the axle to axle. I mean, with vertical bow guys, you got something like, oh, nobody want to shoot under 28 inch axle to axle. But what's the axle to axle on our 500? 13. Four and three quarter inch. Whoa. Why do you think the bow is this wide? Yeah, I'm not like I'm not the I'm not too familiar with those crossbows, but that is just crazy. Yeah, and the, unlike the Raven R18, the XO XO is a, a four and a half inch with a vertical with a vertical limbs, so the string is going ninety degree up every time you shoot it. That's bananas. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's get back to the 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 process of like uh, step by so step. So I, I got the I get the arrow cleaned. And then I will build the insert. I will build the insert with a tubing. But any time you do anything under 246, you should build the insert with the tubing first. 
you put them together, you glue them together, you spin it to make sure they're good. Now, remember your glue takes, uh, at this moment you can do two things. You can actually use the, uh, uh, a, a fast, uh, like a gel to glue the insert into the tube. But remember, when you do that, you better be sure it's right because you only got what, 15 seconds, they're set. That is to the insert to the tubing. Mm -hmm. Okay, you can use that to, to get it set fast. But for the outside, now you need to reclean the whole thing because you touch it with hand. That's the reason I usually blue one with the blue gloves because your hand have oil. Yeah. Uh, that's not much to oil. Oh, well. Your opinion, you're entitled to it. <laughs> <laughs> then you put the glue on the top of the, of the shaft and then after you finish everything, you could get your 12 inner tubing with the insert all set. Now you're ready to build a shaft. Now, if I'm like you building hundreds of them, I would do all the insert, all the all the uh, all the insert and tubing. I did it all, and I scan them all, and then I check them all. Because see, some unfortunately, when you build so many, some of them are not spin right. That means yeah, right. the insert tube is not right. Then you know the error is not right because in the two hundred four, as the shaft diameter decreases, everything becomes more critical. Absolutely, that is the truth. Didn't I tell you don't build a two hundred four, don't build a six sixty with a two forty six to start with? Are you glad I told you that? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and and of course, after that, you simply put the glue in and you make sure the temperature is over 70 degrees and the, and the humidity is over 60. Yes. Why, does that, why does that matter? Because, because you being a two-part slow-state epoxy, anything lower than that, the, the molecular bonding of the formation of the uh, epoxy is getting smaller. So the higher the temperature allows it to Cure faster, not slower, but at the same time, you don't want it to be so slow because you want the viscosity of the fluid of the glue to fluid enough to use it. As you increase the temperature, you increase the cure speed, you also decrease the viscosity. Sure, and I okay. found out the optimum is 70 degrees, and it's critical you put the glue on aluminum foil because, like all epoxy, is exothermic, that means they give a heat by putting on aluminum foil, you, you, you extract the heat off the system, so now you can keep the glue cooled so you have at least up to 90 minutes to work with. Yes, you hear me right, one and a half hours to mm. work with it. You know, most, that's reason all faster epoxy, like, like, the, like the dual five, minute, uh, five minutes or the one you see all oh, the five minute, one minute, the epoxy formed molecule is extremely small. Mm. They are great for bonding, but they are not useless for flexing. Yeah. In this specific case, what we are really trying to do, we're using the epoxy to do a long string bond to between the outer outer shaft and the inner shaft together. We are forcing them to bond together and flexed against each other. Sure. This is where the magic is. Yeah. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, we, we, we have seen shafts that have using inner tube before. But you notice all those inner tube shafts that have been done ages. But the difference is the glue. Because the inner shaft, you shoot them. The more you shoot it, the leak, the weaker the arrow gets. Do you know why? The um, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the carbon uh, dust. Yeah, the the resin. The carbon dust between the outer and inner will form. Okay. Now the two tubes no longer work against each other. It's just simply putting two tubes. You only have weight. So the spine of the shaft is no longer consistent. Okay. That so you can see how important that cleaning. And the gluing process is because that's where make it happen. Before you put the um, 
before you put the inner tube inside the shaft, are you using like a bore brush or anything to score the inside of the shaft? Or that is not a bad concept, but I usually don't because if you don't get it, um, my shaft was using what you call it a thermal, a thermal differential approach to put that mantle out. So the inside of my shaft is pretty rough already. It's not like oh. a gold tip. A gold, a gold tip is reasonably rough too. It's not like something like an Eastern or a Black Eagle. They're extremely smooth. Okay. You can see how smooth that is, especially on a victory. Yes, that's a smart move. A ball brush will give you some roughness, but then you also have to clean it. Yeah. A lot of people forgot to clean it. Because any of the graphites, they are like lubricants. You yeah. do not want them. So again, uh, I would say just go in and clean with acetone. And the, the next trick is that use a vacuum, suck the acetone out. The acetone is actually a debonder and a solvent for all the CA. And in the case of my Audio 236, which is the glue I use, that actually would also make it softer. Mm -hmm. So by, by using a vacuum, you remove the acetone. You force it to vaporize because you increase the air velocity, the evaporation goes up, then you have no more acetone in the shaft. Then you get the glue to work better. Okay. And of course, since like all my inserts now, they all have basic 45 degree chamfer on it. You want to do, what you do is that you cut the shaft, you chamfer the shaft, then you put in, put in an acetone bath to clean it and you vacuum suck it. So now you've got a shaft you can glue with the chamfer on top. Sure. Okay, we're all on the same page there. Um, and then um, that has to set for 24 hours, correct? At least. At least uh, the, ideal, I, the ideal is 36 hours. Okay. Now, the 24 hours is the temperature is over 80 degrees. It's 24. But in, if the temperature drops, like, oh, you glue it, and then you wait for winter, it's 60 degrees. Now you're pushing 48. Okay. But the, the uh, ideal is about room temperature with 70 degrees. That will give you, but 72 is what out to be the best flow. Because as you increase temperature, the flow is better. When the flow is better, there's two sides to it. When the flow is better, the viscosity goes long, down. It's easy to push in, but you have less glue that goes up. Sure, yeah. So after everything said and done, I find out 72 degrees seems to work the best for me. And of course, uh, I, I know that a few customers up in Canada, they put all the way up to 80 degrees and still not good. The problem is that it's too dry. Their humidity, oh, the humidity is like yeah. 10% because they heat it on all the time. The inside is so dry. So, I mean, there's no moisture in it. In, in the air to start with, the moisture is not part of the uh, 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 part of the gluing process. But because of no moisture, the evaporation of the resin or the hardener and resin, some of the resin coming out because when you mix it, you can smell it. So when you and the moisture is, is so low, it, it allows some of them to go away. So the molecule the the molecular formation becomes smaller, which is effectively lower. As they put a humidifier in it, well, guess what? They got hmm. what they needed. Interesting. That's something that we haven't messed with, but our humidity levels are probably pretty good. Correct. See, all the small things that people never thought of, like a lot of people build arrow with me, the moment they go in the winter, that's where all the problems begin to form because the temperature is not right, the humidity is not right. Yeah. And people say, oh my God, all this work for building arrows? Uh, if you've got a way that's better, cheaper, easier, let me know. I'm all <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah, or faster. Holy crap. Yeah, the three we build is pretty fast. This is very efficient, but just like all the steps. I mean, it's like Tesla with a gigacast. It's safe, all this. But how much investment are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And but they, you... they, I mean, just like they say when on the on the Model T, they save 220 robots with one ticker machine. Well, 
But that 220 robot is nowhere close to the cost of one kicker machine. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Um, let's talk about fletching for a second. So mm-hmm. um, I know the process that you taught us would be like with the the aerovane specifically, acetone mm-hmm. on a cotton swab, wipe it off on the dry side, wipe it in the same direction, and then Correct. glue. Correct. It is critical. Because see, the, like every single vein out there, they always say have the primer and so on. Unless the glue is a true P, unless the material of the vein is a true PE vein, that means the surface is totally closed. In most cases, the, the PE do not use it because 90% of the vein, excluding mine, is extrusion process. So inside the material that is stable, that what you call it, uh, what you call it is the uh, release agent. Otherwise, you will bind. The relationship technically is a large mineral oil molecule. That means embedded. So the, it's, all, it's everywhere. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So the moment you put acetone on it, you are forcing those oil, oil molecules to instantly lift it off from the material and into the acetone. And then you use a clean side to wipe it. You now remove it. I mean, a lot of people do not understand. Let me give you one of the physical standpoint, do you know glass in this non-tempered form is considered a liquid? I think you've told me that before, but mm-hmm. it takes a little bit to sit in. <laughs> because it just flows very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reason when you go to New York on some of the tall buildings, you notice the bottom of the glass on top of the glass, the bottom is about an inch thicker now after, 40, after 80 years. Oh, because it's flowing down. Correct! Wow. <laughs> But the moment you temper it, you change the structure. So now every single piece is structure. Okay. The uh, physics so, do help. <laughs> yeah. Um, a primer pen that most people use is that just acetone? Uh, in some places, it's it's uh, it's, it's the subject of it. What it does is that it just simply open up the pores. Okay. But but then when you open the pores, what happens with the oil molecule? They go in it. It's still there. Yeah. But using acetone, when you wipe it, you pull the oil molecule. What happens when you have an oil, oil molecule on the surface? When you remove it, you actually have space. Yeah. The oil, now you get space that face. The oil molecule is a little bit bigger than acetone molecule. Yes, I'm talking chemistry, but this is it. <laughs> I wish I would have bought stock in acetone for the amount of acetone that we purchased. Um, for, yeah, for I know. I went through a, a see where you went to buy it. Don't go to Walmart. That's the best place. Oh, okay. Walmart Walmart paint section is about seventeen bucks a can. Used to be fourteen. Now it's seventeen. I know some places go eighteen in big cities. It is so much better. And for the average Joe, the best acetone you can buy is go to Walmart on the uh, cosmetic section. Finger make sure, make sure you do not buy the blue or the pink or the orange one. Get the clear one. The blue and orange and orange, they all have lotion in it. <laughs> you do not oh, want that. we don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> We've been buying it from Lowe's, but it's a lot more expensive, I think. Lowe's is the highest. Yeah. It's higher than Home the higher price than Home Depot. Walmart is the best. All right. Well, thanks for the tip. We'll check that out. Because Lowe's is going to cost you 23, 25 bucks a can. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> do I know my stuff or what? <laughs> yeah. Um when you build a uh well, let's just say you have a few orders. Are you using multiple jigs or do you just do one dozen on one jig? And then, no, no, first of all, you always do it. You, you find your two best jig, you always work with two jigs. 
if you are slow, you work with three jigs so that you can do them all because you make sure that all your jig is right. Doing them on a single jig or multiple jig, it does not matter because remember the final fetching jig have your zirconium oxide with the ABEC-5 ceramic ball bearing on it. So you, you are guaranteed plus and minus 144 of a degree. So as long as you from arrow to arrow to arrow, you mean that your, your mark your clamp the same. Now remember, look at all your cams. You may be off by one, say, 264 of an inch on, on the height. So what difference does it make? Right. In, in archery, it does not matter. In airplane, it does. Yeah. And, but, yeah. but what you're dealing with is front and back, not the position of the vein because you're dealing with arrow vein. For your customer who shoot blazers or shoot attack veins or whatever, it really don't matter. It can be off at three degree. It's just the same. Yeah. Because it's not an airfoil. Remember, when you deal with a drag-based vein system, you can be off by three to five degree. It does not matter. Right. Because um, you're saying drag. Drag is drag. I mean, you, you don't have a circular drag. It's the most of the drag surface is on the shaft and on the vein. Right. The uh the positioning, I have I have a question on um more on that, but the positioning of the vein, uh, we're trying to get that vein as far back, as far as close to the knock as possible. Correct? That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. Now for now that that said, the higher the let off, the worse it gets. Because the higher the, the f- let off, the, the worse even it gets further the, back the, it needs to be. No, the, the if you go further the back, the worst. The higher the FOC, the worse it gets. Oh yeah, because you're trying to um, adjust the, the center f- pressure. No, because if you have high FOC, the fun is going to stabilize faster. The tail right. is going to whip more as the vein goes to the back. The angle of attack of the vein become higher. Right, so that's why it gets worse because you have the your center pressures off. No, it's the center pressure is always the same. The thing is that you've got a, the mass and momentum is higher in the front. So you've got directional control where the vein become weaker. The vein would flip high and lower because the front is more stable because you've got more mass. Okay. Um, so here's a question that it's something that we get requested a lot. Uh, what is the difference between offsetting a vein mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. helical? To be frank with you, the, the, the difference is that uh, you're dragging it. The offset and the helical will give you technically identical effect. It's like, like a, the, the thing is that's the sound value, what you're doing right. it. Because it's like you put a piece of plywood down the, on the back of your truck at an angle or curved it. The curve will give you a smoother flow, but the sound gets big, bigger because of turbulence on the back. While a strict flow will give you delta vortex on the entire surface. So they all have benefit and downside. But in the case of an arrow, most of you got most of the guys shooting 280 feet per second and below, it don't make a difference. Over 280, you're crazy. The vein no longer worked anyway. Right. <laughs> it just got a direct surface. Um, so we offer a uh Q2I vein. It's the fusion two. So I think it's mm-hmm. 2.1 inches long. And mm-hmm. um we have a lot of people requesting like a three or four degree helical in that vein. I understand. That is not really possible, correct? It's possible. You just are doing a helical clamp, adjust the thick toe clamp, file the clamp down until you got that. But after you get it, what do you get? Nothing. You get a thing to look at. Yeah. It have to do zero thing to your to your arrow. But you, you know what? You, you you can't tell people that. I mean, they, they, are, they are so sad for that. Oh, you need to be six degree helical or <laughs> else you don't steer the broadhead right. I mean, how many times do you, I hear that? 
Yeah. I say, hmm. <laughs> we uh we we typically don't do anything over two and a half degrees. Um mm-hmm. just because of the amount of the surface area that you have on the shaft, when you're trying to wrap the vein around it, your adhesion mm-hmm. is not good. Of course it's not good. You need to file the, the, the entire clamp to give you entire curve cohesion. That's the reason the helical clamp, as I said. If Dodge ever build a helical clamp, it will be a $600 clamp. Yeah. Because you need to use magnetic force and like a, like a nickel titanium to give you the, the adjustment of the curve because you're dealing with an angled arc. Think through it. That is no solid surface that maintain the same and give you it. I mean, just like you go three and four degree, what does the arc look like on right. a 204? Oh, it's strong. Yes. So how do you, how do you glue the front and the back? The only place that glue is the middle. Just like, let me, it's not bashing. Just like you use a Ring Master Pro. You put a three degree on it and you put the freaking vein on it. The only part that have pressure is the front and back. Yep. The midsection have no pressure. It's so like, how the hell do you glue it? Yeah. yeah. You can literally like, slide. I mean, seriously, you can slide. If they do a straight vein, you can slide three pieces of paper under the middle of the vein. Yeah. You can blow <laughs> air through it. Correct. It's and, like and, and how the hell? Right. I mean, what are we talking here? I mean, yes, the heavy helical with the Sega Ring Master Pro, you can get better because you are using the pressure of the curve. Sure. Yeah. Down. yeah, that makes sense. That is where Ring Master Pro shines because you are using two pieces of wire and an arc with pressure over the arc. So now you get more even pressure. That's where it shines. Yeah. Those okay? are easily the, those are easily my least favorite builds. Easily. My least favorite. Yeah, but you see, if you want to build those, I mean, getting a Master Pro is not a bad concept because it's so much easier to do. But at the same time, you know, after you have everything done, you don't really get anything besides looks. Yeah, and I, I just... But I you know, really... you can't tell people that. But if that's what they want, I always said, you can't help, quote-unquote, other people or not smart people, <laughs> and you give them what they ask for and be done with it. They're yeah. your customer... They have opinion, just like, what did they have opinion? They're just like assholes, everybody got one, and none of them feel good? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's, there are some, um, there are some factors, and I think you mean the same thing by this too, but when we talk about four-fletch, you talk about, I asked you at Harrisburg, remember, I said, what, mm-hmm. three-fletch or four-fletch? And you always say four-fletch is for people who can't shoot. And there's a lot of truth to that, and there's a lot of archers that do need it because they just can't shoot. So I do see Correct. sometimes where it, people tend to go towards the four-fletch because it hides a lot of Because see, if you go on four-fletch, but go three, go three-inch fletchings, we give you the same effect. That's true too. Because what you're increasing in drag surface, well, you want drag surface, so go ahead and put a three vein on it. Right. You get them much easier. Plus, on top of the four fletch, you have now you have fletching clearance, cable clearance, all the rest of the problems. Mm-hmm. The views of four fletch is so good. So, what what rest are you using? What bow are you using? You got to hoist and do four fletching with it and see how good you feel. Yeah, I um, and it, I think my solution to a lot of the like, just like you said, I, a higher profile vein in a three fletch is no, going to give you the profile. same the longer vein the higher profile will be okay but you also have cable clearance problem well sure yeah too yeah that too because see technically the higher the speed the taller the vein the better because you got tip speed yeah okay the moment you go uh slower the longer the vein because you don't have speed so the another thing you th- think about it's like a flying snake compared to a bat yeah yeah that makes sense that uh that seemed to be because 
I mean, there's the, we've talked about it a thousand times, but there's the, the, the heavy broadhead, the super big fixed blade broadhead um, trend mm-hmm. that we're, we're dealing with here. And that's what people want to shoot. And you talk about all the time, like people, you ask what broadhead do you have to use? Because people yes. can't, I mean, they're in love <laughs> with a broadhead or they spend a ton of money on a broadhead and that's what they have to use. So um, you kind of have to build the, the fletching configuration that's going to match or that's going to work well with them. And it just so happens that the four fletch variation um, is the most chosen for us. And it is my least yeah. favorite. Right. Because first of all, you take more time. That's like if you on my website, do a four fletch, it costs you a dollar fifty more for three arrows. You can four fletch arrow vein? Of course. Tech 15. Bow tie. Hmm. Is it any different? Any better? Any more performance? You don't have a choice. The trigger box blocked the top vein. You have to fletch like a bow tie. No, 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 I mean putting the fourth vein on it. It costs more. No, but performance-wise. No, it's not better. Hmm. To be fair with you, when you, when your veins are within 60 degrees of each other, you behave like a super fat vein. It's meant to turn, not to fly true. Wouldn't it be uh, 90 degrees? No, because Tech 15 have to fold it like a bow tie. Oh. Because it doesn't, the trigger box block. closer. Okay. The, the 90 degree. See, 90 degree is bad because when you're a crosswind, as the arrow turns, you've got two positions. You've got a 100% crosswind. Yeah. You've got two surfaces at 100%. Why the three wing as it turns, the surfaces maintain the same on the right. crosswind signature. But at the same time, when, when the four wings, when you're at 45 degree, your surface is the minimum. The moment it turns to a 90 degree, your surface is maximum. So the air will, will jackedly move. That's hmm. not talking about. Well, three wings is always enough because yeah. the same is a three, the, 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 the entire outside surface did not change as far as the wind is concerned. Just like you put a four vein, you put it in water flow, and then you turn the three vein, it's the same. The moment you go to four vein, you hit sideways, you, you moved. And then yeah, go that's... back to the side, you lure. In other words, you're talking a jacketed airflow on pressure. Hmm. That's something that's not talked about enough. This is basic aerodynamics. I mean, most people who, oh, sorry. Most people have not learned anything. So who took, <laughs> how many people listening to this took aerodynamics? <laughs> uh, I mean, you see things just like, you know, the four-blade propeller compared to the three-blade propeller. Guess what? The three-blade always went out. Hmm. Yeah. Or the two-blade in high speed. Sure, yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of people. Uh, are you on TikTok at all? You get on TikTok? No, I have never been there. Um, there's a lot of people that are messing around with. Remember the one? We did a, we did a podcast one time. There's a conversation. You were, like, talking about how... Um, at certain speeds, whatever you do with your veins just doesn't matter. And you were talking about like take an arrow and shoot it and then take your next arrow and cut the back of the vein off and shoot mm-hmm. it and um, see how there's like no difference. There's people that are like fletching the, putting the fletchings on backwards mm-hmm. and then putting them all different spots on the arrow. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're shooting great groups at 30 yards. Correct. Because when you shoot like low speed with a, with a heavy FOC, it really do not matter because you're not passing the 280 feet per second. The, the 260 is where it becomes, you got some effect, okay? Yeah. People need to understand speed and aerodynamics. Without speed, air resistance don't mean anything. Yep. The moment you deal with, like me, I'm seeing guys shooting 500 feet per second. You just have minor, minor, minor problems. 
Yeah. It's like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> I could have uh I could have used a five hundred feet per second crossbow Saturday. I uh I I made a, a pretty large mistake. Um I missed a really big buck Saturday, George. Oh gee many. Yep. How far? Forty five. Yeah, there's nothing to do with speed. Your boat, your arrow is totally quiet. It was just a misjudge of distance. Oh, remember, speed have nothing to do with distance. The I mean, speed will help. I know that. That's the reason. Remember my, my my favorite customer, my favorite talk about customer with 26-inch draw with 45-pound weight max, shoot through an elk at 65 yards? Yep. In other words, the misjudge of distance is always going to be a deal when you shoot an archery. I mean, even when you, I mean, yes, if you've got a garment system or, 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 or but or, or, or what? Oracle. Oracle system, yep. You still need to put the time in because until you get them set up, they are not going to work right. Yeah, you have to calibrate them and everything. Right. And see, on that calibration, again, just like when they first call me, uh, they told Dodge, your arrow do not work without scope. They know your scope is not complete. Do not have all the compensation for a real arrow. Yeah. You say, no, it works beautifully with all the arrows on the broadheads. They say, yeah, at what speed? The moment you go to a certain, you tell me that two identical vehicles with the same engine, one looks like a truck and one looks like a car, and you go down the highway at 75 miles per hour, they drive the same? No. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, right now for most on the scope, they have the speed, they have the weight. But you need the third factor, aerodynamic efficiency. Yeah. Because at that moment, as you go further, the distance, the arrow is stabilized. The gyroscopic reaction will kick in. You also have the effects of the cycle plus the energy loss. These yeah. are all part of it. Those are the, So that's the reason when, when you look at some of the guy who use my arrow or the arrow you built, you find out that the moment they shoot over 315, none of the tape worked. The tape worked for the first 30 yards, then it doesn't work for the next 60 yards. I told them, if you wanted to work, cut three tapes. <laughs> because the further you go, the shorter, the, the, the faster you Piece get. them together, yeah. Correct. And the same thing with the Oracle. I told like the customer just come by, so you tell him, what you need to do, look at the further distance you shoot. And don't do the 20, 30. Do the 20, 40, 60, 80. Yeah. If you shoot 100, do a 20, 25, 50, 7,500. Because then the system will now give using those dots and do your curves again. Yeah. In other words, you need to normalize your curve. Now, we're going back to math again. The more dots you got, the better the more result accurate. you get. Yeah. Correct. Because see, as you ex expand the distance further, the variance become bigger because the aerodynamic become a bigger factor. But the first 20 yards, there's really no major difference because the arrow have not stabilized. Unless you're using my arrows, like the one you build, you feel like they are, they are penetration. I mean, yesterday, for the heck of it, I just saw... <clears throat> I saw a YouTube video. Very funny. The guy got a brand new Hoyt, 13 inch straw. Shoot a deer, a Florida deer. <laughs> At 20 yards, the arrow had three inch penetration and the freaking deer just ran away. Oh, Ask yourself, what's wrong with that picture? You've got a 70 pound draw, 30, 30, 70 pound pull, 30 inch straw, shooting a deer at 20, uh, maybe 20 yards, and you've a got a 70 three, pound 20, deer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have 80 on the, what, on the 86 point. Oh, gosh. And you can't get a pass through? I mean, just put it this way. With your bow, not saying it's a bad one, 
He will go through the first shoulder blade and then out the second. Yeah. Because the arrow is already straight and do penetration the right way. People yeah. don't understand. Until the arrow straightens, you have no penetration abilities. It's like you trying to hammer a piece of PV stubing into the into the ground with a hammer on the back. <laughs> the full tip just says flags and flags and nothing goes in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to get the thing straight first. <laughs> yep. That's the key. You've um have you been able to hunt all this this season yet? No, I'm still working on my new vehicle. I'm trying to get it fixed. I'm trying to get all the order. I mean, just like today. I mean, I got about six dozen of arrow coming in today. Six dozen arrows on October 10th. Yeah. God, people. Get it together. <laughs> you no, it's all the way to October 30th because some people only hunt in November. Remember those people? Yeah. All, uh, November 15th is my hunt day. I should get an arrow on November 2nd. I've got two days to practice. I'll go on the plane and I'll be in Kansas by on November 15th. And shoot Good my enough. Deer. Yeah. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've dealt with that a lot. Oh, no. I've got better. Oh, I'm going to land on Kansas on November 12th. Uh, can you get my arrow there on November 10th? I may shoot three rounds of it before I kill my big buck. I know it's high fans. I know it's all wrenched, but still. You yeah. should put at least some time in it. <laughs> yeah, that makes me feel bad. I'm shooting all summer long. I'm <clears throat> prepared, and there's you got people like that that get hey, arrows two I've days. I've been shooting the for the last four days in my target. Right now, if I if I have if I hope if I got a bench, I'm shooting within half inch on my on my stat stalker with my arrow. So I'm very very comfortable. <laughs> good, good. Well, I hope you get to enjoy some of the the good weather we're having here pretty soon. Um, I'm sure there's some big old Illinois bucks waiting to get some a fire. Well, I remember, I'm tr- I hang public land only. Public land is not easy, so I may just shot a, a small deer to to feed, to fill my freezer first. <laughs> well, I, I, don't be humble, George. I know you got some booners in there. I did shoot a few. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but anyway, I hope you get to enjoy it. Um, this is this is the time of year we all look forward to. I'm glad to be back talking to you. And um, good luck out there. I have a, a phone call to get to, but we will talk again soon. Yep, maybe sometime next week. All right. Thanks, George.